Well, for the past few weeks, we've been talking about um, but God moments. Basically, looking at, at the Bible, and we see that over and over again, there's these situations that seem just almost completely hopeless. But in the midst of those situations, God shows up and he does amazing things. And we're going to talk about that today specifically in the context of making disciples. You know, our church wants to be a church that makes disciples that make disciples. This is what Jesus has called the, the whole church, the, the universal church and every local church to do, is to make disciples of all people, of all nations, and also in all places to take the gospel to the, to the ends of the earth. Um, and what we're going to see today is we're going to spend some time looking at an example of a but God moment um, within the book of Acts, is we're going to see that really God is the one who makes disciples. That God is ultimately the one um, that causes people to grow. And we get to be a part of it, but God's ultimately the one that's driving it. He's the one that's doing it. And, and we just get to enjoy playing a, playing a small role in that. And um, so the first thing I want to do is, is look at the, kind of give a, a summary of the first six chapters of Acts. Basically what we see in Acts is that after Jesus returns to heaven, the Holy Spirit comes, and at that point there's, you know, there's, a, there's a couple hundred um, disciples of, of Christ at the time. And then after the Holy Spirit comes, just within the course of a, of a matter of months, the church just explodes. And you know, thousands of people, the church goes from being a couple hundred to being you know, over 5,000 disciples and people are just coming to Christ left and right and you know we can put ourselves in the in the shoes of the disciples uh, and you know the, the church leaders and then all the disciples at that point that when you're a part of a movement like that where you've just seen Jesus rise from the dead and then you know people are people are just disciples are popping up all over the place it says that the, even some of the priests were were coming to Christ were putting their faith in Christ and, you know, at this point, in the first six chapters of Acts, there's been some persecution. You know, some people have gotten put in jail. Um, people have been warned. They, you know, stopped preaching the gospel. But really, that's just served to galvanize the church and make them even more passionate about doing what God has, has called them to do. And so we can put, our, put ourselves in, in their, their shoes that they must be really excited. And, I mean, I can only assume that they had some, some plans you know, they were probably thinking about, okay, we've got all these people um, that are, at that point, they're, they're pretty much all Jews, and they're all in Jerusalem. They're all Jewish people, and they're in the city of, of Jerusalem. And we can imagine they probably had plans about, okay, where are we going to meet? How are we going to do this? They, they, they were probably thinking through what next steps are going to be. And, and then, um, but, but then in chapter 7, something happens that really, um, that, that seems like it is threatening to sink the ship of, of Christianity. And that's that Stephen, who's one of the, the deacons, one of the leaders in the church, that he is killed for, for his faith. And like I said, but before that, there have been some persecution, but this is a whole other level. And so we're going to look at what happens with Stephen, and then we're going to look at the, at the but God moment, where we're going to see what God does in, in the wake of the death of, of Stephen and how he actually uses this to continue spreading the gospel and making even more disciples all over the, all over the area. So in chapter 7, you can turn to Acts chapter 7, 
And in Acts 7, so Stephen is, he's, he's preaching in front of the high priest in Jerusalem and many other religious leaders, and he's just, he's calling them out. And he's saying, you guys are, are stiff-necked, hard-hearted people, we need to repent. And, um, and they're not very happy. And at the end, when he finishes his sermon, then this is in 7.54, chapter 7, verse 54, it says, Now when, when they heard these things that, that Stephen had preached, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. They were really, really mad. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed up into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But, but they, they, they hear Stephen say this, and they say, they, they cried out with a loud voice, and they stopped their ears, and then they rushed together at him. And then in 58, they cast him out of the city, they threw him out of the city, and they stoned him. So that they, they killed him. And the witnesses, they laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, which we're going to hear more about later. And as they were stoning Stephen, he cried out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Which is another way of saying that he, that he died and, and went to go be with Jesus. Um, and, and this isn't my main point, but I can't help as I read this and as I think through this to just think about death. And death is scary, and it's especially scary in the midst of, of COVID. And I know some people are really worried about it. Some people might not be worried about it at all. And I've kind of gone through the roller coaster of those different feelings. Um, but, you know, we, we heard Matt share a couple weeks ago about how his nephew, a perfectly healthy 18-year-old kid, um, nearly died from COVID. And, you know, if you're like me, situations like this, it, it can be, you know, it, it's easy to be worried about, okay, you know, I, I, I believe in Jesus, I've, you know, I'm walking with Christ, but, you know, when the rubber meets the road, if I was to find myself, you know, on a hospital bed, wondering if this might be the place I'm going to die, how would I feel? W would I be peaceful like Stephen, or would I be freaking out? You know, that's when, I mean, that's really where the rubber meets the road. And so I just want to encourage us that we can be like Stephen. Um, that we can face death the way Stephen faced death. And the way he was, that just like Jesus was standing at the right hand of the Father, waiting to receive Stephen, and comforting Stephen, and even encouraging Stephen, um, that Jesus, for if we trust in Jesus, and if we're disciples of Jesus, if we believe in him for salvation, then when, when we die, whenever that happens, and hopefully it's a long time from now, um, that that's what he'll be doing for us too, and that he'll receive us um, into his kingdom and into into heaven, just like he did Stephen. And so we can we can be confident in the face of death, or even just thinking about death, because we know we know that Jesus is is there for us, that he's there for us right now, and he'll be there. That when when we die, when we fall asleep, um, like it's talking about here then we'll get to go and be with him. So I just wanted to encourage us, uh, us about that. But that's not the point. The, the point is that this is a really low point for the church. And I'll keep reading in verse 8. So, so Stephen's dead, and then, or not verse 8, chapter 8. So in chapter 8, 1, verse 1, it says, And Saul approved of his execution. So Saul is, you know, giving the thumbs up. He's, he's, he's supporting, you know, killing this, this guy. 
And continuing reading, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. Um, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house and dragged men and women and com- dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So basically, Stephen's death sets off this um, this wave of really intense persecution where it emboldens people like Saul who are going from house to house and just dragging people off for believing in Jesus. And, and, and it says um, in verse 1 that, that, that everybody fled, that everybody was scattered because there was so much intense persecution in, in Jerusalem. Everybody except for the apostles, they were scattered all throughout the region. And again, if you're the... I wonder how they felt at that point. I'm guessing that that was scary. Yeah, I'm guessing that was discouraging. I mean, here they were before. They were they were doing life together. They were they were having all things in common. They were breaking bread together. They were sitting under the apostles' teaching, and now they're running for their lives. Now they're 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 running for their lives into different into different areas of the of the region. I mean, how is this is this thing even going to survive? But the the but God moment that we see is that God, in the midst of this moment where it seems like the church is in an existential crisis, um, God actually flips this and he uses it to accomplish the thing that he told the church to do in the first place, which is to spread the gospel to all peoples and all places. So let's keep reading in verse in verse 4, in chapter 8, verse 4. We're going to read about another one of the, the deacons named Philip. Um, this is chapter 8, verse 4. So, now those who were scattered, they went about preaching the word. Okay, you'd imagine, you know, if you're running for your life and you just saw one of your leaders get, get stoned to death and people are getting thrown in prison left and right, you know, it, it might it might be tempting, you know, to to do like Peter did. When somebody said, hey, aren't you one of those disciples? Like, oh, no, no, I'm not, I'm, I don't know the guy. It might be, it might be tempting so be a little bit less vocal about your faith. But but what happens here in verse 4, that the people, that even as they were being scattered, they went about preaching the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him, when they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there is much joy in that city. So we see that through Philip, as, as people are being scattered, God uses this through Philip and probably others as well to take the gospel to Samaria and to raise up to to, to raise up um, many new disciples in, in Samaria, whereas before the church was all confined um, to to Jerusalem. And and let's skip down then to to verse twenty six. There's another story of Philip, and so in 8.26 it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, so Philip's been preaching the gospel in Samaria and making disciples there, an angel of the Lord says to Philip, Rise and go to the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an, an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot. And, you know, his chance meeting with this, with, with, an, with an African guy, 
um, a, a, a very influential African guy is riding his chariot. Well, what's he, what's he doing in his chariot? He was sitting there reading the prophet Isaiah, just so happened to be reading Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, you know, go over there and, and join this chariot. So Philip ran over, and when he gets closer to the chariot, it says he, he heard him reading the prophet, and he heard, him, he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he asked, do you understand what you're reading? So here's this guy, you know, he's reading from, from Isaiah, and he says, hey, I mean, you know, that's interesting. Like, do, you, do you understand what it's saying? And the, the Ethiopian said, how can I unless someone guides me? And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, and it goes on to, um, to, to, to quote a very messianic passage in, in Isaiah. So obviously, you know, this was, God had, God told Philip to, to go to this particular place so he could have an encounter with this Ethiopian guy so he could share the gospel with him. And long story short, the, the, the Ethiopian um, official, he, he trusts in Christ right there and gets baptized right there. And so a second ago, we saw the gospel going through Philip as he's being scattered to Samaria. And now we're seeing the gospel going by means of a very uh, influential court official to, to Africa. So, so now, we're, now we're really crossing cultural lines here. So the gospel is expanding through this to, to Samaria and then, and then to, to Africa. Um, just when we're thinking, I mean, is this going to survive? You know, it's, it's expanding, and even more people are, are, coming, are coming to Christ. And then um, we, we were reading before about, about Saul, and, you know, who later became known as Paul. And Saul was one of, and so if we, if we go back to the scene, if, if you kind of take a snapshot of Stephen is breathing his last breath, you know, people were charging at him, you know, beating him to death with stones. And then you have this guy, Saul, who is a, who's a, a, a Pharisee, an influential Pharisee, who, who's there, who's on the scene, who's just loving this. And he even goes and starts to, to, to terrorize Christians even more. Um, you know, and it looks really bad. You know, Stephen's dying. You know, there's a lot of outrage against Christianity. And here we have these people being emboldened to, to, to pursue Christians. And, but, but, you know, God also had a plan for Saul. And we'll see that in, in chapter 9. Um, this is, and I, I won't read it for time's sake, but this is the story of, of Saul as he's, as he's on the road to Damascus. So he can, so he can, um, uh, so, yeah, so, so he can discontinue persecuting people. He has this vision of, of Jesus. Jesus appears to him, and, and then Saul becomes a Christian. And Saul goes from being somebody who was terrorizing Christians, who was you know, being a part of killing Christians and dragging them off into prison. He goes from that to being one of the biggest evangelists in, in the church. And, and through Saul, well, he was, he, his goal before was, to, was just to stamp out Christianity. But now he ends up being one of the main people that God uses to take the gospel and make disciples all over the Roman Empire. So what we see through this is that, like I said at the beginning, that God is the one who's making disciples. And it didn't seem, if you're sitting there watching Stephen be stoned, it, it, it wouldn't appear that this is going to be the turning point that's really going to take Christianity from being kind of a geographically isolated, ethnically isolated, um, albeit very flourishing religion, to something that just 
explodes and spreads throughout. You know, at, at the end of Paul's ministry, there's churches all over Asia and all over Greece and just all, all over the Roman Empire. Um, but yet that was the point that God, that we see this transition where the gospel starts to, starts to expand. And, and, and Philip and, and Paul and Stephen and these other people, that they got to be a part of it. And, and that wasn't their plan. You know, Stephen, that's not the way they planned it. But, but God allowed them to be, to be a part of it. So what does this mean for us? I, I think that we, I know I feel, I'm not sure if you would agree or not, that it seems like, in many ways, it seems like it's a, it's a challenging time to think about making, making disciples. We're all stuck in our homes. I mean, very often the places that we either build relationships with, with fellow Christians in our life groups or uh, in school or whatever, or that we get to know non-Christians so we can share the gospel with them, you know, sports leagues and in and, and school, at work, whatever. Well, now we're just, we're just stuck behind a computer in our houses. And, and it, seemed, it, it would seem like, you know, that our plans have been derailed. You know, whatever plans, whatever ministry plans we had for our small group or for our, um, or for our witness at work or whatever, it seems like, yeah, it seems like those have been completely derailed. And, and I think what we can learn from this situation that we just looked at in, in Acts, that we just looked at in, in, in Acts, is, is that God, is that these things will not stop God from making disciples. That it might not be in the same way that we thought, but God is going to use any and every situation to make disciples. You know, in the, in the 40s, during the communist revolution in, in China, all of the foreign missionaries were kicked out. All of them were kicked out. And at, at, to that point, the church in China, Christianity in China, was very much dependent on the foreign missionaries to, to be the leaders. And decades later, and so and people thought at the time, well, you know, this is, this is, this is the end. I mean, this, the churches in China isn't going to survive. And decades later, when, when foreigners were finally allowed to go back into China, when missionaries were finally allowed to go back into China, they expected to find no Christians. But what they found is absolutely exponential, explosive growth in the Chinese church. That tens of millions of Chinese people during that period where the missionaries had been kicked out became, became Christians. And churches were planted and leaders were raised up. And, and, and it went from being something that was led by foreigners to something that was indigenously led. Because they had to, out of necessity. And it wasn't a good time by any means. It was a very painful time to, to be a Chinese Christian. But, but that's another example of the way God used people's, the, the way God took people's efforts to stamp out Christianity and, and you know, judo mastered and turned it into, into to something that, that, that actually caused the church to spread and to, to grow even more disciples. And the point I'm trying to make is that God, that same God is working in, this, in the same way to make disciples right in Cary, North Carolina, in, in the United States of America. And our part in that, I would say our part in it, if you ever watched the movie Finding Nemo, there's a character named Dory, who, you know, stuff is absolutely going haywire, there's sharks trying to eat him, there's riptides taking him out all different places, and um, there's this character named Dory, who almost in the sing-songy voice, she just keeps on repeating, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. 
says, you know, just keep swimming. And that's your answer to everything. You know, oh, this, you know, this happened. You know, this got destroyed. Just keep swimming. And, and I think as a church, we need to remember, as disciples, we need to remember that in the midst of our plans being derailed and being stuck at home and facing challenges, whether it's political challenges or whether it's, you know, um, public health challenges or, or, or whatever, um, to, to just keep swimming, to, to not give up. Um, and I think specifically three things I can think of that, that go along with that. What does it look like to just keep swimming as a disciple-making disciple um, during, during these times? I think, number one, to be holy. You know, it would have been easy for the Christians, when they were scattered, to, to say, you know, forget this. I'm just going to go... I'm just going to go live a life of debauchery or, you know, whatever kind of values I was trying to hold before. Um, now that they're in crisis to, to really, to, to really just, just say, forget those and just do whatever you want. Um, but, but, but no, they, they continued to walk with Christ and that's why they were ready to, to share the gospel when they had opportunities. So number one, keep, keep being holy, keep um, confessing your sin, keep asking Jesus to help you in your family, in your communities, in your job, in your loneliness. Maybe it's just you and your apartment by yourself. Whatever the situation is, keep pursuing holiness by the power of the Holy Spirit. It might seem hopeless, but it's not. Number two, to, to keep meeting with other believers. Meeting, I'll say meeting in, in quotations, because it might it might be that the only thing we can do is, is meet virtually at this point in some situations for some people. And In Hebrews 10, the writer, he challenges the church Reminds the church, saying to not stop meeting together and encouraging each other to stir each other up to do to do good works. And and you know in times like this, I, I've I've seen for myself, um, you know when we've been on Zoom calls all day and gosh another Zoom call and or whatever you know it's just it, it's it's just a, annoying to you know instead of being able to go inside somebody's nice air conditioned house, she might be out in the sweltering heat and somebody's somebody's yard or, or, or whatever, it's easy to isolate yourself and say, you know, it's just not worth it. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna stay here and focus on my family or I'm just gonna I'm just gonna gonna read the Bible by myself. And the Bible tells us that we need the encouragement of other brothers and sisters in Christ. So we can be encouraged to to be the light and the salt that God wants us to be. Whether that's virtual or whether that's in person or, or whatever. Um, so so keep making a point of meeting with other believers, so they can encourage you and you can encourage them. And number three, um, keep talking about Jesus. Keep talking about Jesus. Um, I, I wonder who God, you know, like God, or the Holy Spirit arranged this encounter that Philip had with the people in Samaria and then with the, the, the Ethiopian official. I wonder what types of encounters God has for us. Who is he going to cause our paths to cross with? Um, maybe it's on a Zoom call, you know, maybe it's even on a text chain or, or, or whatever it is. Maybe it's in person. I, I, I don't know. Who is God going to put in your path that you can help, that you can show the love of Christ and you can share the, the gospel with? Um, who is that going to be? But don't get so discouraged that we stop, you know, oh, they don't want to hear. Or, you know, I'm just stuck at home anyway, so, you know, there's no point. Don't stop talking about Jesus. Don't stop praying for those opportunities. Imagine if Philip hadn't opened his mouth. 
you know, imagine if he would have thought, you know, gosh, if in Jerusalem we're being persecuted, I mean, Samaritans certainly don't want to hear. Gosh, this 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 African, I mean, gosh, certainly he doesn't want to hear. No, but he, he didn't do that. He kept talking about Jesus and sharing the gospel. So just keep swimming. You know, continue to pursue holiness by the power of the Holy Spirit. Continue meeting together with other believers and continue talking about Jesus with people that don't know him. And let's see what God does, because I believe that just like God was working in the early church that we just read about in Acts, just like he was working during that time of persecution, just like he was working during, um, during the persecution I was referencing in China in the 40s and 50s and 60s, I believe he's still working among us today, and we get to be a part of it.